Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Joe Belliotti. You're listening to Rebel Radio. My name is Rebecca Jolly and you're listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. Today, we are talking to Joe Belliotti and Rebecca Jolly the authors of How Music Grows Brands. If you work in brand partnerships or the music industry or marketing or anything related to that, you're gonna wanna listen to this one. These two are uh, at the top of the game as far as brand partnerships are concerned. Joe used to be head of music at Coke and was also partners with Chris Lighty in a brand consultancy. And Rebecca was the North American CEO of uh, the publisher of Mixmag, Garang, The Face, and she also led partnerships for SFX and some of the world's biggest festival brands. They both consult brands on music strategy and their book is great. I read it cover to cover. It's a blueprint for how to do it right and make sure that everybody's winning so they keep investing. We get into some, some fun stories from their journeys and mine, uh, lessons learned, and uh, I think you're going to like it. Let's get into it right now. start uh with you guys and a little bit of your history um do you remember the first record you ever bought for yourself oh god i don't want to admit it <laughs> <laughs> i don't bearing in mind i grew up in the uk in the 80s mine was, oh it's, it was um jason donovan i don't do know. You know do you know you don't um he do you know the soap opera the australian soap opera neighbors no what Oh gosh, I'm speaking to the We're terribly Do you know Kylie Minogue? Yes. Right. Of okay. Love there's, Kylie a, there's an Australian soap opera called Neighbours and okay. everybody was in the UK, everyone was completely obsessed with it. It was on twice a day and everyone used to watch it twice a day. And there was Kylie and Jason were like the two main love interests. Oh no way. Yes. And okay. so yeah, hit that that it was a soap star's pop album was the first one I ever bought. All right. I wish I'd had prep on that question because no, I thought it was something much cooler. You gotta start somewhere. And it's <laughs> yeah. funny our you know, our the musical journeys we have no control over where they start, yeah. right? And uh, you know, we learn from friends or family. Or mm-hmm. Joe, what about you? Where, yeah, what was your first? I, we record? had records around the house, like Rolling Stones, Cat yeah. Stevens. But the first one I ever bought, 1984, Van Halen. Awesome. Yeah, it was a big one. That's right? great. I mean, Jump. That was like a. Yeah. It was funny though. Think about it. It was a synth hit, like synthesizer-driven yeah. hit for a guitar band, right? Like that was their first sort of like big mainstream, like coming out of. I have their memoir, his his memoir in my oh, yeah? list. I haven't read it yet, but apparently it's a you know it's an amazing story. These these guys were like Indonesian, growing up in outside of Pasadena, Pasadena yeah. and completely um, uh, kind of shut out by hmm. by uh, 
you know, and sort of figured out this outsider thing on their own and became maybe the best guitar band of all time or one That's of awesome. them. awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, and then how did, how did music become your career path? What was the point where this, where you realize this is what I'm going to do for my <laughs> life? <laughs> Me? Do you want to go first? I had a friend who lived two houses down and we weren't good at sports. So all we would do is try to like, music you know mm -hmm. make instruments buy instruments whatever so we played in bands when we were in high school and I, I was terrible I mean like just I mean like people say they're bad but then they pick up a guitar and they're really good <laughs> no I'm really bad okay so um yeah but I love music and mm -hmm. he actually went off and had a career as a children's artist but I um decided all right I want to get into the music business side of it which I knew nothing because I was from Providence Rhode Island and there's no music industry there shocking uh, so I went to Berklee College of Music, studying uh -huh. music production, nice. and thought I'd do that. Came out to L.A., got a job at Maverick when it was on Beverly Boulevard. So it was a record yeah, label publishing company back in the day, Alanis Morissette, Deftones. I got a job at the studio and did that for a few months until I was able to get a job in music publishing, which I knew nothing about, didn't even know the job existed. Sure. And that's what you do. You kind of learn, you figure things out, and then that sort of evolved into music for film and TV, supervise some TV shows, some movies then get into advertising and then really like that because at the time there was very few people like me and you that were connecting brands with the music mm -hmm. ecosystem. So I moved to New York, started an agency with Chris Lighty, who was a hip-hop manager, 50 Cent, Diddy, LL Cool J, Busta Rhymes, and we started going out to brands and helping them connect with pop culture through music. Yeah. And Coke became a client of ours in 2008 maybe, mm. and uh, 2010 I joined Coke Head of Global Music, did that until end of 2017, then decided no more corporate. But I still love the music and brand thing, so yeah. I started doing it on my own. And then, yeah, and then the whole time, like, you know, the, you know, the writing the book kind of, you know, was something that I felt like um, there was an opportunity to do because, you know, still to this day, I don't think there's enough connection between the music and the brand world, Sure, you know especially when you look at things like sports or influencer marketing from an, even from an investment level. Yeah. And then, you know, I met Rebecca and we started bouncing it around and it actually happened. Well, it's a great book, yeah. How Music Grows Brands. Where's the camera? But wait, um, well, we need the Rebecca story. Yeah, I'm yeah, curious, we're, like, we're well, how did to, you get no, into this? Like, we've never actually talked about this. No, I, I definitely want to hear the story. Um, but I just want to say, we, so we met in 2017. Yeah. I was working with Linkin Park. Uh, as, as a, handling all their brand partnerships. I went, we had a global deal with Mercedes, so I went to Atlanta to meet with them, and I was looking on LinkedIn, who else is, who, who else is in Atlanta that I can see while I'm there? Mm. And saw your name, Cold called you, I think, yeah. or Cold emailed you and said, hey, I'm gonna be in Atlanta. That's the power of the Lincoln Park name is that people will yeah. take your calls. Uh, so anyway, you taught me two things in that meeting. Um, uh -oh, I don't remember. This that is not have, gonna be good. had mm -hmm. stuck with me. And one is kind of what you alluded to was the, the difference between, say, music and sports, right? And you said in that meeting, you're like, look, you know, we don't spend a lot of money in music compared to other areas like mm -hmm. sports because in sports you can plan against. You have a season that's well thought out, you know, years ahead of time. You have a stadium. You can plan uh, depletions. You can plan volume mm -hmm. against it. You can market against it to all of that. And he's like, music, you know, they call me six weeks ahead of a tour, maybe, <laughs> and need a million dollars, and there's no plan for how anyone's going to benefit, right? So yeah. that was really, 
helpful for me to sort of think about, right? I went back and said, okay, how do we, what are we gonna plan out that we can then go take to brands? Um, and the other thing you said, some version of music doesn't sell Coke. Lincoln Park is not gonna sell Coke, right? And, and that, was a, that was something that I'm, you know, that was a conversation I had had you know, many times with, with different artists is they're like, oh, you know, we're gonna help them sell cars. I want a, a royalty on every car we sell. I'm like, if, they, if Toyota or Ford or whoever needs you to sell their cars, they have bigger problems, right? This is a multi-billion dollar <laughs> company. It can't all rest on your endorsement, right? And so, um, so what I take from that, it's, it's more about how do we work together and, right. and help each other along the way, right? That's what um, it is, because I think that that's where too many brands look at it. It's like, how are you going to help me sell my product? Right. And you can't put all that weight on one activation, one artist, one idea, For sure. right? And I think that's why the Mercedes thing worked out really well, because, I mean, that was that was a relationship. You yeah. guys had a relationship. You did a ton of things. Like, I went yep. to the event in Atlanta where, yeah, yeah. where you had the setup and you had the designed car and, like, mm -hmm. you know, the band was there, you know, like, hanging yeah. out and meeting people. Like, there was a lot of value, like, yeah. you know, over a long period of time that both probably got. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the big things that, that they, the band, got and, and hopefully I helped them with was work with brands you like mm. because you're going to have to show up. Right, and we we got a we got a nice deal done with Mercedes, in large part because they flew to Germany, they hung out with the CEO, the CMO, mm. and they they talked to them as human beings, right? And and, it, and it, you know, the night we signed our deal, I went to dinner with the CEO of Mercedes China, and I took him to the side and thanked him, and he goes, "Look, I could spend my money anywhere. These are great guys, mm. and I like what they do and what they stand for." but they're also good people mm. and it makes me happy to support them. And you can't overlook that human element, right? If we look at, you know, one of, one of the things that I see wrong is we look at these people as media channels, right? We look at them as just a conduit to an audience <clears throat> and you overlook that human connection. But people do overlook the human connection a lot and I feel like that's what harbors the, there's so many, examples of kind of resentment like brands know that sure. artists know that they need brand dollars and vice versa but that that connection doesn't get deep enough often and so people what kind of artists resent the work that they have to do for the brand because they feel like it devalues what they do and joe and i talk a lot and make a case for building that real kind of approaching a partnership in such a more like it sounds like you did with mercedes and link um lincoln park like a the really kind of collaborative program where mm -hmm. you all kind of lay your cards on the table and understand what you need to get from a partnership like that. We want to, we kind of talk often about how kind of on the music side, like look at, uh, whether it's an artist or a music platform or something, needs to really look at what they want to achieve over the next few years and like let the brands into that and figure out how they can help facilitate that and yeah. build that kind of partnership. And it doesn't happen often. You just often get that kind of really arbitrary Sure. like transactional partnership which then like fades out really quickly check it we're back with DraftKings. they're supporting us so i hope you'll support them plus their offer is pretty cool if you're into sports betting football is back in full swing with another week of epic games and who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl new customers can bet five dollars on football and get two hundred dollars instantly in bonus bets 
Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use my code REBELRADIO to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with this code REBELRADIO. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com football terms for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Well, so let's let's go let's go back a little bit. Uh, take us through a bit of your history. How did you how'd you come to music as a career? Um, well, probably similar to Joe in terms of like probably born out of the fact I had very little musical talent myself. Did you try? I did. Like, my, but but I mean, really like kind of thanklessly like I, I tried to learn the piano for years and okay. years and years and pushed like so we're not going to find old YouTube videos of your your band high school band or something no I'm older than that so okay. <laughs> thankfully um no um and then I so I just got into music I went actually went to university in Manchester and it was just kind of on nice. the tail end of the real like blow up of the Manchester music scene yeah. so it, I think it was maybe just a year or so after the Hacienda closed mm. and just I got but there was a there was still, it was a real music city and there were some awesome, as well as all the kind of Manchester music that we know it for, there was some brilliant like uh, clubs and promoters and lots of, and labels in Manchester at the time. And I just got really into it then and ended up starting to run my own music nights there. I oh, worked cool. at, with Fat City Records for a while and kind of really bedded into it there. And then I moved down to London and started running my own nights in East London. I ran like a kind of punk rock night and oh, nice. like emerging band nights and always just kind of, it was always a hobby though, always really, really a hobby. And then at some point um, felt like I had to get a, a grown up job. Um, and so went into the brand side, like went and worked for agencies. I worked okay. for uh, ad agency, was kind of my first job and hadn't ever really kind of thought that I could, it was kind of one or the other, like music was a hobby and, and then I had the job. And then I actually got approached for a job when I was about 25 working for, um, to move to Amsterdam to work for a big festival company, like mm. a company called IT and ID&T who mm -hmm. ran Sensation and Mysteryland and Tomorrowland and they wanted someone who had brands and music knowledge to be able to run a big partnership that they had with Samsung and so that was my first experience of putting brands and music together and figuring out nice. like what that could do and so it's all just kind of gone from there and I then kind of danced about between agency side and, and representing the brand and the and kind of the music side of the business. Joe and I actually met first time although I can't neither of us really can remember meeting but um, when we did a partnership with I was I moved to the US I moved to New York to um, be part of the team launching Spotify in the US because okay. I'd worked for them in the UK and Joe was working at Coke and we did there was a partnership between Spotify and Coca-Cola so yeah that but then I so I kind of worked on that side then I went back to ID&T in the ID&T in the US and we were acquired by SFX mm -hmm. which with a kind of ambition to turn it into a big entertainment company 
And then I launched Mixmag over in the US as well. So it's cool. always been like entertainment, music media, that kind of side. And so probably for the last 12 years or so, I've worked more on the music side of it, whereas Joe's brand side. So we kind of came together on a project a few years ago and realized we had both had these kind of put together a really rounded perspective of like the music and brand world and, nice. and all the pain points within it, all the learnings of kind of how not to do things, but also just, I think we kind of really bonded over the fact that we felt there was a real need to kind of help navigate or like we spent both spent decades trying to kind of figure out both sides of the industry and mm -hmm. we're like if only there was something that kind of helped simplify it or helped you sure. navigate either side of it and a few more calls yeah. later we're like maybe we should just write it <laughs> so yeah that's great here we are nice. we met a second time at tomorrow world remember when they did the atlanta version of tomorrow land yes. yeah yeah yeah. Which the first couple of years were fantastic. Then the third year had a weather thing. It got rained out. Right? I don't know if you went to that. It was no, I always heard. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always heard that Tomorrowland is the best festival in the world. It is. Um, I mean, it was, it, I think it really changed the game for festivals. Like a bit, I think it was one of the first festivals or live experiences <clears throat> to really understand media mm. and to understand that the, 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 strength of the festival wasn't just the 150,000 people who were there it sure. was and that you know they were the first ones to do those to live stream and to do those amazing after movies mm. they called them which were like everyone does an after oh, movie yeah. for something yeah. and they're like two minutes they're long terrible. they were like yeah. nah this is gonna be an hour long and oh, it was cool. just I just remember being in I was in living in London at the time when they first started to do that and just every in every office you went into people would be watching it really? like it was huge that yeah they really did that and I think the US one didn't work as well. I think I don't for various different reasons. I don't think, and and then the third iteration of it was a, a bit of a disaster. They sure. were really um, unlucky, I yeah. think, with weather and a, a lot of things. But yeah, we, yeah, we the, we met there again. The first two years, the festival itself was fantastic. Like I thought it was incredible. Like you know, I mean, yeah, just what they pulled off, like out in the woods, and they did it in a really sustainable way. So it nice. left no footprint after the festival. Like that's it was cool. really well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, and they've also, I mean, they've really evolved now. Like they now have Tomorrow World, Tomorrowland, like hotel retreat in oh, really? Morocco, and oh, wow. which actually looks beautiful. But I mean, yeah, it's an experience. <laughs> it's quite an onslaught on the sensors. I don't know how it would fare in a Tomorrowland festival these days. Fair but, enough. Yeah. So what, uh, I, I think, I love that you have that background in club promoting. I think everyone should be forced to promote a nightclub, <laughs> work food service, totally. retail. You know, right? all the dirty secrets and you really have yeah, to roll your sleeves up. Absolutely. That. Someone doesn't turn up and you end up having to DJ yourself. And yeah, and that. I think there's <laughs> such great life lessons in, in those jobs. Um, what did you learn from that, that that you still use today or that's helped you along the way? Um... That, like maybe the hustle um, yeah. and also the end-to-endness uh -huh. of it like actually from like designing the flyers booking the artists like yeah. trying also the marketing part of it was a real lesson like how to try and kind of get people along to those things to start with yeah I, I mean I feel like it all carries through into what I do today in yeah. some way I love that I mean I, I promoted clubs for a while here in LA mm. And for me, the biggest thing was like, we'd have a great night. You'd you know, be up till four or five in the morning and then you wake up and you have another show in a week. Yeah. And you're like oh, already yes. behind. Totally. <laughs> and I remember that like, there's a big lesson there. Yeah. Right? Like, you, 
it's you got to keep going. Yeah. Also, yeah. To that point, also learned to drink really well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That was a good education. For sure. Um, well, I think you know. I love what you said about we need we need a guide or we need guides because this the stuff that you guys are talking about. So many people get wrong. Uh, there's so many sort of pitfalls and and um, so I'm curious. In the process of writing the book, what did you guys learn? You obviously have all this experience that you brought to it to begin with. What you, would you learn when you were writing? I think the hardest thing was figuring out how to simplify the things that we do intuitively, right? And I think any of us that have done brand partnerships and have done it well, you kind of have this methodology that you take yourself through. And that's what we try to do is figure out like, all right, what are the steps? What are the things we think about that brands should, should consider, that the music industry should consider, like, and, and really creating some structure around it and creating some tools and some frameworks and some criteria. So they're asking themselves the right questions. Mm -hmm. And I, that's, that's sort of the essence of like, you know, where we started from the, from, from the methodology part of the book. And everything else around it was to show examples of you know, when you use pieces of this methodology, here's how it could work. Here's, yeah. you know, here are best case examples. I think we put in a couple of not things we've done that didn't work as well, just to, you know, because we all have those. Sure. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, coming back to the core of it, it's to help brands, but it's also to help brands invest smartly in the music industry so that way the music industry and the artists benefit and then ultimately the fans benefit because they're yeah. getting better experiences, more content. So it's the ultimate win, win, win. And we felt like we needed to write it from both points of view, like not just from a brand marketing point of view, but also from a music industry point of view mm -hmm. so they could better work with brands. And it's like it kind of you know, just it's, it's it, we hope it's a guide that works equally well, whether you're sitting on the music side or the brand side of the table. Yeah, yeah that's right. I think it's um, you you don't realize how much of it is second nature to you. So to try and kind of like draw that out of your head and then kind of make it a bit more formulaic. And also I think the what we're talking about is it's obviously so passion led in so many ways. It's also a very emotional thing. And it's also a lot of what we do and the way we work is because we have <clears throat> the community, we've worked in the community for a long time. So we know how to kind of do those things really easily. So sure. to then try and take that into a way that a, we can simplify it, but make it seem accessible and, and kind of without bypassing any of that or kind of, or yeah, I don't know, trying to kind of crystallize it into something that was, that simplified things, but also, um, helped to navigate a world which is kind of very passion driven. I don't, sure. It was it, that it that was a challenging bit of it. Mm. I think. Interesting. Mm. Um, so you talk about something in the book about the the win win win, which uh, is I think is central to this whole thing, right? The idea that the brand needs a benefit, the promoter, artist, whoever on, on the industry side needs a benefit, mm. and the fan. Um, how, what have you done to sell that in to both sides? Both sides of the table are guilty of the same thing most of the time, yeah. which is starting with the tactic, right? Uh -huh. Like brands will do it all the time. They'll come to us and they'll say, we want to do a uh, partnership with this artist. Okay. What do you want to do with them? Well, we don't know yet. You know, well, right. why are you doing it? You know, yeah. well, it's a good question, right? Yeah. So they start with the tactic as opposed to the strategy and the objective. 
And I think the same thing is true on the music industry side where, yes, you want to get a deal done, but you need to start instead of saying, let's do a deal with such and such, like understanding a little bit better like how that could benefit the brand, right? Sure. So I think, um, yeah, it's, it, it, it tends to be, and I'm generalizing quite a bit, but it tends to be a very transactional space. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't work as well as, let's say movie partnerships is a great example to me where this is sort of pre-COVID, of course, you know, but I guess it's true now because movies are back. Mm -hmm. But a brand would partner with the movie and they'd have, each would know their objective really well. The movie studio wants to get people in the theater on opening weekend. And the brand wants to use that IP to, you know, connect with, you know, consumers and they'll create commercials with their, you know, the car and promote the movie. And they're using their media and their dollars to promote a movie mm -hmm. because they're part of that pop culture conversation. And the, the movie benefits <coughs> because they're driving people to the theater. And there's very, very clear objectives. There's different objectives, but they're both, you know, working together. Yeah. And the music part of it is, 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 is not really built on that. There's not that type of thinking that goes into it. And I think there are some examples where, you know, whether it's a new artist or a tour where all right, it's like we want to sell tickets, or we want to, you know, promote the new album. And you can build packages around that. There are, there are opportunities for that to happen. Mm -hmm. I don't think they happen enough, though. Interesting. Yeah, I think it was, I think it's really evolved, though. And I think that, um, it used to be the case that I think from the music side, a brand partnership was always something that was kind of like maybe something that you would do, but you didn't have to because you you made all your money from touring or from sure. sales of your music, which just doesn't happen as much these days. And so it was because it wasn't needed as much, I don't think there was not very much thought went into it. And it was like, well, if we need some extra money, we'll take that deal and, you know, they can sponsor whatever they want to sponsor. And I think right. the the shift in the music industry and, and the commercial side of the music industry has made the need for brands to be involved a lot more kind of pertinent and with that I think has come that that kind of slowing down and figuring out how to collaborate to do something that benefits both sides a little bit more and and kind of allowing I think the it, I think the music side has allowed the brand side in more and mm -hmm. the brand side has allowed and kind of understood that if they're going to do it properly they need to work with the music side of it and kind of be steered by them creatively and and I think yeah, that, that understanding of collaboration has made it easier to win on both sides, I think. Sure. Yeah, I think so, and I, th I think it's helped that. And then that uh, obviously helps the audience, like, because, you know, no audience historically didn't want to have their music experience interrupted by, like, some big brand logo or ad sure. or something in the middle of it, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, it occurs to me, you know, some of that is generational, that it helps that... You know the people now in the brand, you know, at these brands or, or in the industry are of a generation where um, these kind of partnerships are, are acceptable mm. or expected. Whereas, you know, certainly when I started, the brand people I were talking to had never heard of electronic music or, you know, I, like I said, I, I started my career when I had to explain that hip-hop and rap music were the same thing because <laughs> advertisers didn't know that term. No. They'd never heard of hip-hop. Mm. Right, and so... Electronic music is a really interesting example of that, I think, because I think don't think there's... I think there was this real moment when it really it became a lot bigger and brands <clears> just <throat> knew that that was the 
where you had that most impassioned audience and like way that you could use it to, as a tool to communicate, but just couldn't, just didn't know it as well. And I think there was, I sat in a lot of meetings where there was just a real like misalignment between like, sure. we need these audiences at something like Tomorrow World that are bigger than any other audiences, but no, it was really hard to understand. Like you couldn't just skin a drum kit or right. what it, like you used to be able to in sure. the same way. And that, I think actually the, Evolution of electronic music actually probably drove brand partnerships forward during that a few years, way more than a lot of the other music spaces, which I think was a lot more that kind of music and brand partnership in other genres uh, was a bit more rudimentary up till then, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is the, um, you know, certainly the big brand approach is like to give loads of money to the most famous people on earth. Right, people that need the money yeah. the least, yeah. um, and uh, and you know, electronic music historically hasn't had huge stars. Right, yeah. the 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 epicenter is the festivals or the clubs. It's not the DJs. That's changed a little bit, certainly, but even still, Tiesto and Skrillex are not. They're not Lady Gaga and yeah. Black Eyed Peas, right? Yeah. Um, that the the experience is still kind of at the center of it. Yeah. And so I think that forces you on the brand side to think differently about yeah. how you're going to engage with fans, right? And to figure out how to infiltrate the experience rather yeah. than just brand the artist. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So how does that, I mean, um, you know, like I was saying earlier, I think, I think Europe's very different in, in both, both on the brands and the audience side in terms of how they interact with, uh, with brands and music. What do you think? What are we learning or need to learn from, from Europe? Well, I don't know. I think the baton's been passed a bit, actually, mm. because I remember when I first moved over here, which was made from like 2011, being really surprised at how, take this in the way that I intend it, like how unsophisticated the brand, like brand approach yeah. again culture was. I think so. You know, I would switch on the TV and was like, I couldn't believe that a sport was a really big example of that. That would just literally just like a logo on a PowerPoint on a sports sure. show or something. Yep. And I think that in Europe, because we're a lot more, um, I guess, less bold. I think in a lot of ways there was always a more kind of gentle approach with how mm. to how to kind of integrate brands into things that were done. And but then I think really quickly it shifted. I think though. I think. And I, again, back to maybe electronic music doing it in music specifically, I think there was a real evolution over here in terms of how brands did it. And also how I think maybe because there's more there was more money available from a brand point of view in the US, they figured out really quickly, I think, how to use it really effectively. And I think now there's uh, Europe can kind of take some learnings from that, I think, because we still are a bit reticent in the UK and Europe generally to uh, really embrace that commercialization of things. And I think there's still a hesitancy to understand that it can have a real added value to the degree that I feel like maybe in this market, people have kind of come to understand that a little more and have kind of welcomed the commercial opportunity in to the creative process. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it kind of has flip-flopped a little bit. And I think there's still, you know, you look at, 
things like Glastonbury Festival in, in the UK is an example, and I think they have always been very, very light touch with brands and, sure. and really pushed back on any brand involvement and everything, and they're slowly learning that it has a real value and that they actually kind of need it a lot more now, but it's still, it, yeah, they still uh, it's still a work in progress, I think. Yeah. It was really fun to work internationally, like outside of the US and UK sure. when I was at Coke, because the things we were doing there, you could never do in those two right. markets. Like, Coke had built Coke FM, a digital streaming radio station, and it was the largest streaming radio station in Brazil and Mexico. It was run out of the Coke offices. Yeah. And you couldn't do that. You had Spotify right. and Pandora and everything else. In, in Southeast Asia, built their own festivals, where Samsung was sponsoring the Coke Festival, right? Yeah. And Coke owned it and was monetizing it, and it was, it was not just a marketing tool, but it was a business, and did that in multiple countries. In the Middle East, they started a show in Pakistan called Coke Studio. It was a TV, network TV show mm -hmm. where artists would collaborate. And we ended up scaling that to Middle East and Africa and like, you know, getting a lot of you know, value out of it. But you, wow. could, you couldn't start a TV show here. It sure. cost like $10 million to do an episode of The Voice. Like, right. how are you going to compete with that as a brand? Yeah. But the things you could do in a, with, as a brand in different parts of the world, just because it wasn't as crowded and, you know, wasn't the competition, yeah. were really, really interesting. I think that's, in, you know, when you're, if you're a global brand or you're an international artist, like, that, that's another, you know, it's another opportunity. Yeah, I mean, that seems like such an interesting challenge to think about, you know, a brand like Coke, or there, I don't know if there are any brands like Coke, right, that are, that are literally in every corner of the world. Um, There's a, only a handful, really. Yeah, and, and that need to, you know, this idea of sort of global strategy, but when every market behaves differently and has different stars and different trends and, and different uh, regulatory environments and all of that stuff. But music, I think, is one of the only, like, cultural verticals. <coughs> we were talking about this recently, that if you are a brand with a global strategy that it makes sense to execute within because... Sport like brands spend so much more money in sport, but sure. that's not a it just doesn't translate. It doesn't like music can Im connect to every person and has the opportunity to connect to every person in every different market and it transcends borders. Whereas I feel like in sport, you just you sponsor a team, and if you don't like that team, then it doesn't reach you. Or if you don't like sport, especially sure. someone who's not into sport, like if a, there would be no brand resonance with me if they sponsor a sports team or or game or something so yeah i feel like a global strategy for a brand it has to be rooted in music in some way because then yeah it, you um activate it locally but it, that as a as a kind of cultural uh i guess yeah marketing strategy it feels like it's the only one that really makes sense yeah it's hyper local that's the great thing i mean with sports there's there's so it can be really easy like you said like Sport, you could do your local team, you could do your national league, or you could do FIFA World Cup, right? And there's like sort of these tiers and you can get scale out of it. With music, you can do the hyper-local really well, right? There's a few global properties, but not many. So I think when you're looking to get scale or consistency, that's where the complexities come in. You kind of have to stitch together this, and that's where, to your point, strategy is important. Sure. Like, what is the strategy around, you know, music? And yeah. that's where, you know... I think brands are getting much more sophisticated. And yeah, maybe it is a general, generational thing, like you were saying. But I'm actually really happy the book came out now as opposed to like a few years ago when we started writing it because there's this tipping point happening. And I'll, I'll give credit to TikTok, I guess, where 
you know, now all of a sudden music is top of mind on every oh, yeah. brand marketers because you've got this platform that 96% of the people are listening while they're watching content. It didn't sure. exist on Facebook and Instagram and everything else. So now you've got this great, you know, sound on platform and TikTok. And now music's like top of the top of mind for everyone. And brands are realizing like, oh yeah, we need to be involved in the space. And it goes back to like, well, what's our strategy? Well, we don't really have one yet. So right. I think that it's 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 starting to bubble up. I think I think there's a, I think it's part of a, a yeah, a, a tipping point, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Let me holler at you one more time about DraftKings. Football is back in full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet five dollars on football and get two hundred instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use my code REBELRADIO to sign up. New customers can bet $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code REBELRADIO. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. One of the other things you talk about in the book that I think is really challenging for, for marketers, maybe for all of us, is sort of the, the death of genre. Right, and I mean, I, th I think it's a long, slow death. I don't know that genre will ever disappear completely, but you know, the way I look at it is, you know, genre was incredibly important when we had record stores, because you need to know, you don't have time to search through, yeah. you know, all the racks, so you need yeah. to know where to go. Yeah. And a CD was only in one place at a time, yeah. unless it was on the end cap as well, right? But um, obviously none of that matters in the digital environment. But, you know, at the same time, and, and I think you pointed out in the book that, <clears throat> Music is also tied to our identities, and especially when we're teenagers, mm -hmm. frankly. Right? When identity is forming, you know, music tells us who to hang out with, who not to hang out with, how to dress, how to talk, mm -hmm. you know, and in some cases how to think about life. You know, punk rock lifestyle and attitude uh, comes with a whole, there's a set of morality, right? Right. Um, and hip-hop has a different one and, you know, et cetera. So, um, what do you think, it, first of all, an unfair question, what do you think it means for, uh, for that process of forming identity if we're not using genre as a, as a stand-in? Um, yeah, let's start there. That's such an interesting question because, I mean, yeah, you're so right. Like when we were all growing up, it was, that was the kind of the one defining thing. It was the first question that people would ask. It was like each a starter kit, kind of, right? <laughs> totally. And it was, you really, I mean, I, uh, as a teenager in the 90s, there was, I don't know if you knew about it much over here, but there was that whole Oasis versus Blur battle and you literally had to, you picked a side. Yeah. And that defined who you were for right. 
for years to come after that. Sure. And I don't know. That's... We had our versions of that here. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was, I mean, it really was like, I, the, you know, everyone was kind of either grungy or emo. No one was into puff or whatever. Right. And it's now you can, yeah, it's, it's really different now. I think, I don't know. I've kind of forgotten what your question was, actually, but it's such an interesting topic that I think about a lot just because it, it was such a pertinent part of, like, growing up for us and, and yeah, your identity. And now, like, what does... Yeah, the unfair question is, what do you do if you're a teenager, right? How are you supposed to right. gel that like, identity? And I guess the maybe the more relevant question is, is, is what, do, what should marketers do, mm -hmm. right? If you Because, you know, we all remember, we're like, yeah. oh, you know, I took science. Science was like, we want to be hip-hop. Or, you know, 7-Up's like, we want to be EDM. Yeah. yeah. It was easy back then, right? And I think, yeah. um, you know, because this has come up before and, like, haven't sort of, you know, nailed it. We probably should do some research on this. But what I've seen is that back in when we were doing that with the hip-hop and the thing, we were kind of closing ourselves off, sure. right? It was like, these yeah. are your friends, this is what you dress, this is what you do, and you hadn't kind of had these distinctions. <coughs> Whereas today... I think you're seeing people borrow a lot from a little thing. Like I could borrow a little bit from Drake, a little bit from this, a little bit of that. And it's sort yeah. of, it's an amalgamation. Music is sort of like, you're an amalgamation of all the music that you listen to, all the different styles of music you listen to. Yeah. And that actually opens up more connection opportunity, right? Because you're not sort of, you know, alienating people or putting people in boxes because of music genres. Sure. So I think it's actually a more homogenous, uh -huh. you know? like uh, becomes, culture than it was before it becomes like audience first doesn't it it's like you, and a brand will know the audience that they want to connect with but that manifests in so many different ways and right. that you know it's part of the reason again that we wrote the book because everything is so much more fragmented these days so if that's your audience segmentation they align with so many different things so let's spread and work with 10 different artists that represent all those things that are emerging and support sure. the growth of them versus that hanging your hat and yeah. all your budget on one and hoping for the best, which it is, which makes it so much more interesting, gives the brands a lot more opportunity to support and really invest in the music scene as a whole. But it's obviously a lot more complicated to try and kind of figure out. And I think also then you get, I think it's audience first, but also channel first. Right. I think there's a lot of those decisions these days. <coughs> um, I always challenge brands to not look at genres so much. And I think we talked about this in the book. Um, but we talk about... Need to reread it. Okay. Yeah. Um, we talk a lot about how music as a mood enhancer or to, you know, set, you know amplify a moment sure. or an occasion. And I think that gets really interesting because every brand plays a role in people's lives, right? It does something, right? It's either yeah. a mood, a moment, an occasion, something. makes me feel something. And music makes me feel something. So how do you parallel the two? becomes much easier in a sense than genre, right? And trying sure. to figure out like what's my brand personality, yeah. what genre. So I think if you can align those moods and moments and it could be as, you know, I love this example and it's really a little bit hokey, but you know, Barilla Pasta created Alexa playlists. Is that right? And what they did is they did it based on the amount of time it takes to cook your different types of pasta. So oh, you had a fusilli funny. playlist in Linguini, and you say, Alexa, play the fusilli playlist, and by the time the playlist was done, your pasta was done, but That's we all know hilarious. it always takes a minute or two extra. But, um, <laughs> but I thought that was interesting as an example because here's a pasta company yeah. that actually found an interesting role in the music experience. You know, yeah. music is part of their brand experience. Yeah. So it's almost like if they can do it, pretty much every other brand, you know, 
has a meaningful role to play. Yeah, that's really interesting, and and I think part of it, it I don't I don't know why your story reminded me. Um, I, I was talking to the the GM of Adidas at the end of Yeezy season one, mm. and so you know there was all this press about how you know Kanye had turned around Adidas or whatever, and and we were talking about it, and it was like, you know, that that collection was extremely limited. Right. And he was like the, you know, it was like they made five million dollars gross or something mm. off of that season. Right. And uh, probably had to pay it all to Kanye. Mm. And so he was like, you know, the the value that that brought was it gave our 5000 employees something to get excited about mm. coming to work on every day, not the financial returns on that particular collection. Right. And I think, you know, for these for these big companies, that's a big part of it. Right, and it's back to kind of the human element, right? You have, you have all these human beings, these huge sales forces or whatever inside of a company that needs something to rally around. Yeah, but that's an interesting example of when you hang your hat on one thing, sure. the risk that goes with it as well. Well, yeah, you know? we see, absolutely. Yeah, yeah you can Right, and I think you make a good point pivot. about spreading that risk a bit. Yeah. Um, sure. But I, but I think it's, you know, that's the thing of Barilla, like, does, does, did people listening to that playlist actually sell more pasta? Who knows? No, but it was a story you could tell. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, and it, was, and it was a story they could tell internally mm. to get people you know, excited that this sleepy brand category yeah. is now involved in music yeah, in, in an interesting way, and, and sometimes that's enough. Yeah. Well, that's why I was impressed. I mean, we keep going back to the Mercedes thing, but when I went to the little race in Atlanta, and you had, it, was, it wasn't little, it was a pretty big race, but there were guys from the band there. Yeah. Like, you know, and like you said, they showed up. Yeah. And I think, you know, whether it's, you know, a brand, I mean, brand is just a collection of individuals, just like a record label right. is, just like an artist is, right? And I think, you know, like you said, like going back to that personal connection, it also creates a sense of accountability, right? Like if you don't sh hold up your end of the deal, you're not impacting Coca-Cola, the company, you're right. impacting the, people. the brand manager Absolutely. who comes to work every day and doesn't need that headache and is yeah. trying to do her job and, you know, excel in her career. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it, there, there, is a, there is a relationship. And it's, it's good though, I think that we're seeing like, the, the two sort of cultures hang out more together. Like mm -hmm. I noticed like, yeah. you know, and we talked a little bit before this about South by Southwest. And, you know, part of the downside about the expansion of South by Southwest is it's impossible to navigate, but you're actually getting, you know, music and brand people, you yeah. know, together yeah. which is nice you're seeing it more at you know conferences like the gathering or even advertising week where you're sure. you know seeing more music people show up that's going to help yeah it does help yeah i mean i think it's it's tempting to forget people you know everyone's a fan mm. of something right and, and as you said like music is, is this sort of great connector to people all over the world and you know brand people are fans just as much as as everyone else um what you, you tell a lot of great stories in the book. Can you think of something that you've never seen done before that you'd like to see happen in, in music? In, in music Ooh, and that's brands? Such a big question. Brands? Yeah. Um, I, um, I think a lot about like the a brand having, I mean, 
obviously there's brands like Coca-Cola, but a brand having real longevity, like having a long-term plan that goes beyond their three-year pivot and in, yeah. in investing in music. And, you know, there's a whole groundswell of brands who are try understanding the benefit of being there at grassroots and they get involved at a grassroots level with emerging artists but then pivot their strategy after a few years and sure. there's very few brands that have gone into it long 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 term and i think we always talk about things like red bull music academy who did yeah. but then the next layer from that is like going this kind of emerging grassroots like i'd love to see a brand like really put uh their resources behind actually developing artists in a lot more of a like but seeing them through their entire journey and yeah. i know we were talking yesterday about that other example of like lego creating uh -huh. the llama like actually creating an artist but so maybe but that's kind of an example that's a bit further than that but actually really becoming responsible for like an artist's success yeah. on a, a, a much deeper level than just kind of i guess riding on the tailcoats when they are successful or mm. or kind totally. of creating a grassroots program and then backing out again i'd love to see a brand like to, to kind of kind of raise to the ground their strategy and just actually decide to invest in like x amount of different artists of course every different yep. genre but genre but and actually like get them there because it's so much harder for artists to do that these days and i think i also speak a lot about the fact that i think especially kind of on the back of covid brands have got a real duty of care to like invest back into the music industry that they've mm -hmm. capitalized on for so long and sure. now that it's there's various different challenges more than there ever has been i think in terms of that are prohibitive to the success of music like actually like really pivot really intelligently and invest long term in whether yeah whether it's a certain scene or or collection of artists I think that's interesting there's a there's a because that happened on the brand side when you invest in emerging artists i did this in 2010 i had an artist in a tv commercial right two years later she's with the competitor she's no longer well you know sure right right well they, like, you're, you're, that's a great the, point because it was a challenge on the talent side right because it wasn't the, the, the mechanic wasn't there yeah. to take advantage and build the relationship like yeah. you're talking about and i guess sports probably has a lot we can learn because you see like they'll invest in an athlete early right. and then incentivize them along the way hey you yeah. win the grand slam we're going to give you an extra this sure. you know and they it's work money well spent because now you have a grand slam winning you know yeah. tennis player but like you could do the same thing with an artist and say all right if you go platinum if you win a Grammy, you know, and kind of incentivize them along the way. Yeah. So you're both winning in the upside, like you're talking about. I think that's really interesting. But it's still a much more of a dirty word in music than it is in sport. It's okay yeah. for a brand to oh, yeah. own an athlete. Sure. And to, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, you know, I think it would really, it's, there's still a lot of work to be done. And that has yeah. come from the brand side in terms uh -huh. of how they approach things. But that it, it feels like it's a kind of authentic... Um, an acceptable element to like a, an mm. artist's success is to have a brand like through the, the journey like pushing that. Yeah, I love that answer. I mean, I've I've pitched multiple brands on building a real record record label. I built one yeah. for Cyan that they did cool things with, but didn't mm. purposely didn't take it that seriously. Um, and then I went out and pitched a bunch of others who just they like they couldn't yeah. see. Yeah. The label model is a really good way to do it, and it's been yeah, like Sion and a few of the, a good handful of brands have done it. But again, it's been a real short term, yeah. like just and expecting to see some kind of shift or success overnight. And yeah, yeah, and I yeah. think it goes back to 
what you're saying about strategy, right? And, and a lot of times if something gets sold in as an emerging artist program, then yeah, we're gonna put you know a small check in 10 of these artists and lift yeah. their career and then you're sort of done. You've moved yeah. on to the next thing, right? Or I mean, I had Kevin Lyman, uh, who's the founder of the Warp mm. Tour on the show. We, you know, we talked about his partnership with Vans, mm. which I think is one of the yeah. rare exceptions yeah. to yeah. that, right? And, and, you know, the Warp Tour wouldn't exist without Vans. Yeah. Vans arguably wouldn't be who they are today without yeah. that affiliation yeah. that's now, you know, that's 20 years in. There's such a propensity, I think, to jump on the new shiny thing or the next shiny yeah. thing. And, and also just that, like, every... the marketing strategies that pivot or new teams that change sure. around and everyone oh yeah that's a huge and challenge it's, it's a, a huge turnover. challenge yeah. and you, but then you just look like everyone i'm sure like 95 percent of the people that you ask like what are the most successful brand music programs they will all cite the same like fight like yeah. warped or mm. rebel music academy yeah. and it's just and they're the ones who were like in it for the long haul mm. and involved with the artists and involved with the scene and the industry rather than kind of you know you could you can support an emerging artist. They don't have, and if they don't emerge fast enough, like sure. you don't have to yeah, pivot away from them. Like persevere right. and yeah, yeah. Then you, yeah. Well, yeah. It's funny. We, somebody. Oh, I was at my physical therapist yesterday, and she was talking about this Rick Rubin show or something. She'd seen Rick Rubin on mm. whatever, and she's like, "Oh, he's you know, the guy's amazing. He's had all these hits." And I said, yeah. "I said, yes." Rick's incredible, and you know he's he's an icon. And um, I said, but you know, in the in the documentary, whatever it was, he gets to talk about the hits and and overlook all the misses, <laughs> right? And that's yeah. not a criticism of Rick, right? Uh, yeah. But that's a, that's true for all of us, right? Yeah. In in that uh, brands, you know, we don't people are not judged on their batting average; they're judged on their home runs. Mm. And brands sometimes forget that, right? In this sort of risk averse culture. They'd rather have a small win that's maybe not even a really a win than take the risk at a loss. Yeah. 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 So there's another thing that I don't know if brands are doing, but I think there's something in this sort of idea. We all know that like music artists create culture. Like if sure. you're an artist, you have to start with fan one, then fan ten, then fan a hundred, then fan a thousand and a million, right? You you're building a brand, right? Yeah. You're starting you know, with nothing and building, you know, equity. There's something to be said for that. And, you know, brands, Absolutely. we have the benefit of kind of st stepping back and kind of leveraging the cultural bits that kind of bubble up and are interesting, right? Yeah. But if you get to it, like, what value can an artist and that perception, that perspective, bring to a brand's marketing plan, right? If you actually brought them in, you know, at the strategic, at the creative level, right? Absolutely. And help them sort of shape what, you know, we see it with artists that do their own brands. Uh -huh. you know, they become really, really successful based on their vision. Yeah. Like, I would love to see what an artist... We actually did a little bit of that at Coke, because when we did the thing with Mark Ronson in the Olympics, uh -huh. like he was a partner of ours for a year, and he was sitting at the table with the creative director of our agency talking about the TV commercial. Yeah. And like the work got better for it, you know? Yeah, a few brands have done it. I haven't they as well. Like we were talking the other day about like Diddy and Ciroc and uh -huh. a few oh, of yeah. those others. But like that is, yeah. you know, those are kind of extreme examples mm. and also they're where they've brought in a huge artist from mm. the beginning. But, you know, bringing those cultural creators, the musicians as creative directors or as like the, who helped define the kind of creative strategy, I think it would be good to see that. I also want to see brands investing more in like the bit 
the, all the parts we're losing from the music industry, like the bricks and mortars, like oh. build studios, build yeah. stores. Like I, I think the, you know, there's there's a real as the kind of I guess needs to be, but everyone's moving towards the more, the metaverse and those kind of how they activate in those. But like let's bring it back a little bit and kind of create like build the invest in the real world things that that we need to create actually. I love that because, like, when I grew up in Providence, like the only music experience I had was the record store. Sure. Like, so, you know, like people knew music. You're talking about music, yeah. you know. Like, it was, even if you didn't go buy anything, you just wanted to hang around there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we're like starting to create lose that. that music experience. Create yeah. the Absolutely. homes again where people can make stuff, can buy stuff. Like that's yeah. well, that would be a great brand opportunity, I think. Like, and I know there's um like Microsoft I think we're starting to do some interesting things in that space like actually kind of create those uh -huh. creator spaces and studios but yeah. like evolve mm. it more into community hubs like bringing people together yeah mm. I would love if I with brand with brand budgets that's what <laughs> I would love to start yeah we got really close doing. years ago on a on a lucky brand studios they uh in the middle of it the CMO got a new job and <laughs> moved to New York and and the new yeah. team forgot all about it. It's happened. Do you know there but, was a... I mean, that's, a, that's what happened. There was yeah. a really good example of this, actually, which was a guy, Matt Brune, who was the CMO at Smirnoff for a while, uh -huh. went, then went to um, Pabst Brewing Co. Yeah. And he... I don't actually really know what happened. I think COVID, actually. But they were developing plans to build in... Um, God, I can't remember where their headquarters is. Somewhere in Texas, but, like, not one of the key mm. kind of pubs. They were going to build this whole space which was like which was music studios which was like a big bar co-working space like every part of a creative cool. hub and then they would also create all the content from their own, like own and work with artists that came through it yeah. and i think yeah i think covid happened actually but that was a really great example i think of like let's bring back all the different that end-to-end -end music experience and like facilitate it like we'll build it and they will come kind of thing mm. like let's have sure. a like an event space on the roof and skate parks and actually just like create the thing that for everyone else to then be able to use and make from which love I, I loved that on, and sad that it didn't happen yeah absolutely well maybe you'll maybe you'll get someone else to build it yeah <laughs> yeah nice um well I, we're gonna lose the studio soon so I better wrap <laughs> us up but um uh well just a question on strategy does it does there are there specific goals for the book, for what you you guys want to achieve, is there another book? Uh, are there other books in the in well, in the pipeline? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's um, if the thing that's really come out of the back of the book is what what we kind of intended it for, which is why we actually called it the field guide, which is that people are just like really focusing on the the kind of the tools part of it, that yeah. kind of almost like because we purposefully created it so it was like a guide for people to yeah, be able to use to actually that. be able to take and so there's a couple of thoughts around we've been approached a few by a few kind of colleges about like starting earlier in the funnel and kind of creating syllabuses or programs oh, so cool. people can kind of learn from it but also we were talking been talking a lot about how we evolve it into more of a functional like workbook or toolkit or something yeah. that can actually be really applicable in yeah kind of daily work That's is great. something that we're, we're kind of interested in exploring. Yeah. It's funny, like, when it came out, like, we're not authors by trade, and it's kind of a niche subject. Now you are. Now we are. And it's a we niche subject. That's how you become an author, right? We, 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 right? we put it out, and it, it's, like, number one on the music business on Amazon and number yeah. one new release on marketing. We're, like, 
holy crap, people are actually going to read this thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's kind of a really interesting experience because, you know, in our world, it's like we're always creating for others, like for brands. Sure. This is, for me, this is the first time I actually was involved in creating something that wasn't dictated by a strategy or a brief. Right. You know? <laughs> That's yeah. very true. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that I think we would we we'd love to kind of evolve it into just seeing how we can then translate that into actual like real tangible like practices and hopefully kind of encourage. We're both super motivated by trying to figure out how we can channel more investment into music. I mean, that's music is the yeah. area that we both go in, went into this whole career in the first place. So sure. like how we can, what are the ways that we can kind of use this to be able to empower other people to be able to invest more and more effectively into music where it's needed. So yeah, we're, we're playing around with that. Yeah, that's great. And I think, you know, for as, as someone who's, you know, spent my career sort of along the same path, um, we would all do better sharing more information, you know, sharing more freely with each other, right? I think mm -hmm. there's, there's a bigger upside when, as you said, when, when the brands and the industry are more sort of open and have mm -hmm. more tools to work with. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's one of the failures of marketing overall is, you know, you, you get these case studies that are presented at conferences or on blogs that just completely gloss over all of the <laughs> challenges and yeah. failures along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And they tell these incomplete stories just yeah. to, you know, aimed at making the presenter look good. Yeah. And, and what we really all need is to learn. Yeah. And uh, so I appreciate you guys doing this. I've, you know, Thank I've been you. doing this 30 years and I learned yeah. things reading the book. And, <laughs> cool. Thank you. Um, Thanks for reading and, it. Yeah, no, it was, it was awesome. Um, let me do a quick lightning round before yeah. I let you get out of here. Uh, and you can both answer or you can take turns or whatever you want to do. Um, what's your favorite city to travel to? Amsterdam is mine. Oh, I love it. Bangkok. <laughs> love it there. Bangkok. Really? Yeah. Oh, I've never been. No, yeah. I've never been either. Oh, the people are amazing. Nice. Yeah. This one I'm going to require you both to answer. Uh, who's your favorite DJ? Annie Mack, which is a really middle-aged woman's answer, but I love her. She's just launched these new events in the UK, which are called Before Midnight, and it's specifically for like mums and oh, parents, nice. basically. Yep. So she does like a full club night, but it wraps at 11.59 p.m. so everyone can get home and get to bed. I love that. <laughs> She's I... like, why do you have to stay up to 6 a.m. to listen yeah. to good music? So I'm obsessed with her. And I always dance my ass off at her show. I love that. And the older I get, the more I appreciate day drinking. <laughs> <laughs> And like, you know, I have friends who come to LA to DJ hour. and I'm like, you know, <laughs> call me when you're doing a pool party because I'm yeah. not coming out. If you're starting at midnight, <laughs> luckily, you know, we still close early here, but yeah. I'm not coming at midnight. No, well, exactly. And that is a very middle-aged dancer, but yeah. No, it's great. She's, she's awesome. And she's also an author and everything else. She's yeah. like a bit of a hero of mine. Not the coolest dancer, but. Me? Joe, who's your favorite DJ? Me? Yeah. Grandmaster Flash. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like. I'm back on the 80s hip-hop thing. And he's a legit great DJ. I've, I've booked him Amazing. and watched him. And, yeah. And, yeah. I've had a big dancer, yeah. Uh, what's the last great book you read other than your own? Oh, I'm trying to think. I, I read so much. This is like my other like side, but I do book reviews on right, in, like Instagram book reviews. Oh, cool. So I read, I read at least a book a week, nice. like about 50 or 60 a year. So what was my favorite a good book I read? 
Uh, my God, I can't think. Can I come back to that one? Oh, it's easy. Sure. I read a book a year. So there <laughs> <laughs> so you go. Me. Easier to pick from. <laughs> the Chris Blackwell book was great. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Nice. What a story. Oh, do you know, mine was Shuggy Bane, maybe. Mm. It was like a really good, did you read it? Uh -uh. Douglas Stewart book. Oh, my God, that's so good. I recommend adding that to your list. It's the most, like, visceral, brutal, emotive, amazing book by a Scottish author. Really? That's a good one. Awesome. Yeah. I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, how do I you... you have so many options to choose. You read well, a book the thing. How's like the... A, um, like a book. Is it a particular genre, or are you just... Any, any book? Um... It, but any kind of any book, yeah. I have like a, a, a all kind of novels. I like a okay. lot of like human story novels. But yeah. yeah, I mean, yes, I don't. I started. I've always been a prolific reader, but in lockdown, I started to like record them all. And now I've I kind of started accidentally like a online social book club where I just I post it. a book and just we'll, there's loads of conversations on the back of it. But yeah, that's there's awesome. too many to choose from. That's yeah, the thing. for sure. I feel like 2022 wasn't a great book year either. So I'm this oh, really? one. This one started out of the gates much stronger with some good recommendations. So, nice. Yeah. I started reading novels again after um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah. I'm from probably high school to then, I didn't read a single mm. non, a single fiction. Really? And Gosh. I read nonfiction and, and yeah. you know, whatever. Oh, my God. I love it. I just, there's nothing. Also, it's my biggest talk because... If I watch TV, I'm always on my phone as well. Uh -huh. And so that sure. is another reason why I read so many books, because it makes me put my phone down and probably mm. detach. Nice. I got to read the Chris Blackwell book, too. That's great. Uh, what movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? I definitely... Uh, not a very cool answer again. You're, up, you're really exposing me. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. 100%. Okay. It's oh, wow. like my favorite movie since I was a kid, and I've seen it. Nothing wrong with that one. It's, again, not a very cool answer, mm. but that would be I would it. say for me, it was probably Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, although my answer has changed. The, ori to the, the, the original one. Yeah. Yeah. But it's changed to Free Guy. Like, my oh, really? kid watches that movie, like, every other day. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've seen that thing a thousand times. It's actually Fair a really enough. good movie. Yeah, it's oh. decent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Uh, who's someone you haven't met who you've learned a lot from? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd probably say David Geffen. Okay. You know? Yeah. Just because, I mean, like you, I read a lot of, for me, it's nonfiction biographies, and I got Yeah, his book's amazing. Understanding his mindset and his journey, and just, yeah, yeah it was interesting. Nice. Yeah, haven't achieved that level of success yet, but I read the book. So, and, That's and, something. I'm, I'm sure it's inspired something that you've done. <laughs> um, this, I mean, there's, so, there's too many people to choose from, really, because there's so many different areas, as well as, like... Because you read too much. Yeah, and mm. as well as like music and books, I'm also super interested in like health and nutrition and like holistic uh -huh. alternative medicines. And mm. there's a, it, there's probably a couple of podcasters like, well, not really podcasters by trade, but uh, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. I feel like I learn a lot from just because I'm so fascinated in this subject matter. Um, and he just interviews amazing guests about that whole kind of spectrum of like health and living well. Oh, cool. Um, I would say maybe him just because that's something, yeah. He talks a lot about things that I'm interested in and don't know much about. Nice. Yeah. All right, last question. If we work together, what's something I would hear you say over and over? <laughs> um, if we work together, probably sure go for it. 
Like I say okay. that all the time when everyone has an idea. I'm like, sure, let's go for it. Nice. What, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. That's probably like what you that. hear me say. Yeah. For me, what do you think? Like, <laughs> yeah. I know what I think. I'm just curious what, you know. Great. Yeah. That might, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good one. I think Those we both, both love learning from qualities. other people, but we also, I just love working, I like having teams of people who just, I love getting their ideas and just seeing yeah. if we can do something from it, which is, yeah, why yeah. I was yeah. like, let's, let's do it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It was great having you both. Cool. Thank Thanks you. for spending Thank time you. with us. Uh, everyone check out How Music Grows Brands and can't wait to see the next uh, evolution. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good stuff. Yo, that was Rebecca Jolly and Joe Belliotti on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Go ahead and get you a copy of How Music Grows Brands. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. <laughs>